Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Glad you're with us as we kick off hour number three of Outkick 360. With Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton. We've been discussing and reacting uh, to the uh, horrific scene last night with Bill Safety, Damar Hamlin, who remains in critical condition in the intensive care unit at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. And we're trying to get perspective from different angles throughout the day. I am pleased to be joined by Bill's beat writer for the Buffalo News, Jay Skursky, who joins us via Zoom. Jay, thank you for the time, man. And uh, uh, first and foremost, is there any more to add to that update that we've already seen earlier in the day? No, that is it right now. That was from the Bills uh, this afternoon. Uh, we have uh, received a statement from Damar Hamlin's family, uh, basically asking for continued prayers for Damar. Uh, we've, uh, as you mentioned there, received that uh, statement from the Bills saying that he remains in critical condition in, in intensive care. So uh, I know everyone is very anxious to, to hear more about his condition and, and to hopefully hear good news uh, about his uh, improvements. But uh, as of right now, the, the updates have been uh, fairly slow to come in since he, since he left the game last night. Yeah, and we're all concerned about DeMar Hamlin, the human. But, Jay, what can you tell us about DeMar Hamlin, the teammate, the football player for the Buffalo Bills? I know in a tough spot already filling in for Micah Hyde with his injury. But Correct. What, what is he like in the locker room and with that team? Yeah, so, you know, he's a young guy, as you, as you mentioned there. He's filling in for Micah Hyde. He didn't become a starter until Micah Hyde was lost for the season because of a neck injury early in the year. He does have a good amount of experience, though, now. Micah Hyde went out early in the year, and DeMar Hamlin has been the, the every down or every week starter uh, since he was hurt. So he's a former sixth-round draft pick out of Pitt last year. Came in, you, you know, primarily played a special teams role, uh, you know, in, in that reserve safety role. I will tell you, his teammates love him. I actually talked to Micah Hyde last week. Micah Hyde has stayed around the Bills, even though he's rehabbing his injury uh, about DeMar Hamlin. And it just so happened uh, that we had that conversation at, at Micah Hyde's locker. And he raved about the improvements that he's seen from him, both on the field on Sundays or, or Mondays, but also in practice and, and his practice habits, the way he watches film, uh, the way that he's continuing to develop within this defense. And I, you know, this is a, a promising young player who at 24 years old is in the absolute prime of his condition, the, you know, the prime of his physical health. And I think part of that, you know, part of what has made this so shocking is how could something like this happen to a world-class athlete who is in the best shape of his life? I think that's another reason that it's just been so scary. We had John McClain on and, and he talked about, you know, one possibility he floated was since the league has come out and said week 18 will happen as planned. You could push everything back into that week where there's the week off between championship weekend and the Super Bowl and play Bills Bengals in that one weekend and push everything back a week. That's obviously secondary to his health, but you got a lot of Bills fans and Bills Mafia 
that are concerned with the football side of this also that I'm sure have their opinions on what to do with this game now that it's been postponed. Can you sense any consensus with what fans want to see with this game? And do you have any idea what's the most likely scenario for the NFL and how to proceed? Yeah, you know, I really do not have a consensus. I've been traveling a lot of today, uh, left, you know, Cincinnati early this morning to come back to Buffalo. Uh, and, and it's honestly the the overwhelming sense that I get from this team, from this fan base right now is just concern for DeMar Hamlin. I, I don't feel like they're really worried about the outcome of this game, quite frankly. Uh, I saw a lot last night and then early this morning about just give the Bills the forfeit. They don't even want to worry about the game. And I, I know going in, there was so much at stake with this game in terms of the number one seed in the AFC and, and how things could play out in the conference. But when you say that it's become secondary, I mean, it has become a distant secondary right now. There has been really not a lot of talk at all uh, amongst the fan base. And, and I really can't even imagine inside the facility about what's going to happen with this game. I, I truly think that it is kind of up in the air right now. Uh, you know, one thing that we should consider here is, and I know it's unlikely, but if the Chiefs and the Bengals were to lose and the Bills were to win in week 18, that then that game between Cincinnati and Buffalo becomes meaningless because the Bills would still have the number one seed. Now, obviously, uh, again, that that's unlikely given the strength of the, of the Chiefs and the Bengals. So uh, I could see a scenario here where the NFL takes this through week 17 or excuse me, through week 18 and then decides, uh, do we need to finish this game between the, ba- the Bengals and the Bills? And if we do, what's the best way to do that? Jay Skirsky joins us from the Buffalo News. He, he covers the, the Buffalo Bills there. Um, you know, what you mentioned there is, is really interesting because you know, we're, we're discussing resuming this game and win. You know, that's the next storyline that we're waiting on because the league said, if at all, if they're going to play it at all. Uh, but they are playing week 18 right now as scheduled, and that includes Bill's Patriots. Um, what, do you, what do you make of the team now that has to regroup? And, and I know the Bills aren't making anyone available today. And, Correct. you know, that's, that's leading to, I, I wonder, the discussions that are going on behind the scenes between the league and the team. Yeah. And, you know, and that's a great point because, you know, here we are already Tuesday evening, Wednesday, uh, ahead of a Saturday, uh, excuse me, ahead of a Sunday game is usually the first week of practice uh, or the first day of the practice week. It's typically the day that is the busiest in terms of media coverage. Uh, Is this team going to be in a position, number one, to practice? Forget about talking to the media. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then if they do practice, are they going to talk to the media? Are they going to have any sort of updates? Um, Maybe not just on DeMar Hamlin's condition. I'm sure that those will come out as there are updates uh, to, you know, as there are, as they are warranted, but are we going to hear from Sean McDermott, Josh Allen, the leaders on this team about what, what this, this last 48 hours has been like for them, just how, have they dealt with the anguish and anguish is the right word. When you see when you saw their reactions on the field on Monday night, how are they processing all of that? And how are they trying to get ready to play another game here just on Sunday, which feels like it's just right around the corner. So again, a lot more, I think, unanswered questions right now than, than answers, uh, unfortunately. And, and that starts with, you know, what what is their plan for week 18? And how are they possibly going to get ready to play another football game yeah. so soon? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jay Skursky, our guest, and I know you echo the sentiment of many of our guests and us. This is the most horrifying thing you've ever seen from, you know, the, the football standpoint. And in many cases, no one's seen, you know, the CPR administered live in person. 
Uh, and also read what you said, Jay, about, you know, you had the binoculars, but there were so many medical personnel. It was obstructed view even from the press box with binoculars to cover what was going on in real time. I, based on the, the protocol of the stadium, which I know has changed over the last couple of years uh, across the country, were you able to go down in the tunnel? Like, could you observe players there outside the locker room in the scene that we were all watching live on ESPN? So we have uh, we had three reporters at the game. So I personally stayed in the press box to write while another of our reporters did go down into the, into the tunnel. When she arrived, they were quickly that was right around the time that the tunnel was being emptied out. Uh, the, there was a, a very clear uh, desire amongst the NFL personnel, uh, maybe Bills and, and Bengals personnel to keep that area clear of all media. So the media that was in the tunnel at that time outside the Bills locker room was instructed to either return to the press box or to go out to the field. Um, even last night when the Bills flew home, it is very typical. You've probably seen it before. When fans meet the team at the airport, it happens a lot after big wins. Uh, there were fans that went over, obviously, that wanted to show their support for the team. They were kept a good deal of distance away from the airport, uh, there was a heavy police presence there. So it, it, is, it was very clear throughout last night from the time that DeMar Hamlin left the field in an ambulance that the NFL, the Bills, the Bengals wanted to keep this as private as they possibly could. And that meant uh, for, for the and I'm not saying that they restricted the media or did anything right, wrong, right. But, they, but they certainly controlled where the media was able to go in those situations. You know, just outsider looking into the situation and what the ESPN cameras showed us, I thought it was a remarkable show of leadership from Sean McDermott uh, throughout the whole process. Just very even killed, but you could tell he was emotional in his handling with Zach Taylor, with the lead official, with everything going on. Jay, I'm sure that doesn't surprise you, covering this team and covering the guy. What did you make of what you saw from Sean McDermott during last night? You're right. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, I, I think that Sean McDermott has proven, you know, during his time uh, with the Bills that he knows how to lead a football team. He has, uh, I think, demonstrated that time and again. I, I will tell you, too, that I think that the Bengals organization, and that's led by Zach Taylor all the way down, their medical personnel, uh, the, the statement that their team president put out today, I think they have handled this as well as a a team that didn't have the player who you know suffered the medical incident can can possibly handle it. So I think they deserve a lot of credit here too. But yes, you you know you're absolutely right. Sean McDermott uh, has taught and, and listen, this has been a trying football season for the Buffalo Bills. When you consider what has happened in our community back in May uh, when there was a mass shooting and in the way that the team sort of rallied around that and and tried to uplift the community in their own way at that point. We have been through two horrific uh, snowstorms here, uh, including a blizzard on Christmas Eve uh, that has taken the lives of more than 40 people here. It has been 2022 and, and now here into the first few days of 2023 have been a very difficult time for this city. And I know that Sean McDermott feels that. I know uh, that this team feels that. And, and the head coach is fiercely proud of of leading Buffalo of, of being a part of the fabric of Western New York. And if you know anything about the bills, 
the sense of community around this team that starts with the fan base and trickles down into, into the organization is very, very strong. And that continues in that locker room. And the head coach, I think, plays a really big part in that. And this is a team that when you talk about brotherhood and you talk about loving one another in that locker room, sometimes that feels overblown or that just feels like maybe some hyperbole. It's not in this case. That is truly how these guys feel about each other. I think a, a big part of that is their head coach and Listen, this is going to be the biggest challenge that Sean McDermott has ever faced uh, as a coach. I, I'm very comfortable in saying that. Jay, I don't think I'm unlike a lot of people. When I watch a sporting event, I have a hard time not picking a side and just rooting, even if I don't go into it thinking I'm going to root for one team over the other, I end up rooting for one team over the other. The Bills have sort of been that team for me in the last couple of years, given the hard luck of their fan base and how loyal that fan base has remained. Um I don't think I'm overstating this. I don't know a single American that's not going to be watching the Bills unless you're an AFC East fan of a rival team that's going to be watching that game with their team not involved and not pulling for Buffalo. Can you sense sort of a growing bandwagon possibly with this group of Buffalo Bills, especially now considering this tragedy? Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me after seeing what this team has gone through last night. I mean, this is a, a situation that is – literally unprecedented in the NFL. There has never been a suspended game uh, because of a medical issue of this nature. Uh, and then to, to not have the game finished. I mean, you know, we, you know, we get, uh, and it sounds bad, right. But we get accustomed to seeing these injuries, sometimes terrible injuries. It happens almost every week. And what happens, you know, the players, they take a knee, they say a quick prayer and then the game continues. This was different. This was something else entirely. And the look on those players' faces told you that immediately. And I, I'm thinking especially of the people that were in that stadium, and I'm not thinking as much, and I should be, about all of those people who were watching this unfold at home and the horrors that they were experiencing, not just in Buffalo, but listen, this was a nationally broadcast game, a huge game in the AFC. I am sure that the audience was massive for this game. And that... Uh, there is a lot there, right, for people who saw this, you know, the casual football fans uh, who saw the brutality of this sport in such a way. And, you know, I, I understand exactly what you're saying when you say that, you know, I feel like some of those people who maybe didn't have a rooting interest in the Bills are going to come away from this saying, boy, if there's one team that you'd like to see have, you know, maybe to see some success or to, to see have better days ahead, it, it would be the Bills right now. Yeah, and that, that falls in line with the outpouring of support with uh, not just uh, the Hamlin uh, family and directly with DeMar, but what we've seen from the, the foundation that he has that supports the toy drive, that was a $2,500 goal and a GoFundMe. Now it's at $4.84 million. Uh, and, you know, it, it, we mentioned to start the show, Jay, uh, Bill's Mafia has been a part of plenty of uh, donations for other fan groups, players uh, that are uh, struggling or, or trying to boost their certain foundation. And now... We're seeing the rest of the NFL community and beyond, greatly beyond, donating to this cause and, and somehow trying to connect with the, the Hamlin family in any way possible. Yeah, it, you're right. You're exactly right. And I think it's just such a cool thing that has started in this community. It, it was so organic. It, it dates back to uh, actually, oddly enough, a, a game against the Cincinnati or involving the Cincinnati Bengals, I should say, when the Bengals beat the Baltimore Ravens, that win helped the Bills get into the playoffs and break their postseason drought. 
And the, the donations went at that time to Andy Dalton's foundation. And that sort of started this ball rolling now where you where you mentioned that uh, when, when things like this happened, we saw it earlier this year when uh, Dolphins quarterback Tua Tungo Viola was hurt against the Bills and donations went to his his charity. So it does not surprise me at all that Bills fans are supporting DeMar Hamlin and his foundation in the way that they are. And to see now how the NFL community as a whole I think I saw uh, just before we joined that Tom Brady, uh, George Kill, some of the the biggest stars in this league are now contributing to that as well. I think it's just a way uh, for fans, uh, for uh, those involved in the NFL, whether they're players or coaches or front offices or, or teams, to show some sort of support to let the, the Hamlin family know that they're not alone in this. And that they are thinking about tomorrow. And if they're, you know, you, you just hope that some good can come from all of these donations. I'm sure it's going to help his community back in Pittsburgh, which he has been so dedicated to giving back to. Um, and I saw a tweet, you know, uh, it was from a, a local radio broadcast uh, personality here before I came on. And it was, uh, I, I really need tomorrow to wake up soon so that he can see all of these donations and how they've come in. And I just thought that was really touching. Uh, I think he is going to be incredibly surprised and happily surprised when he is able to find out what, you know, what the NFL community and what the Western New York community and really nationwide, what football fans have done for him to try to support him and his family at this time. Very well said. Jay Skursky has been our guest from the Buffalo News, uh, covers the bills there. Uh, Final thing, how difficult has it been to not I mean, this is we're doing this right now. We're trying to we're not speculating. Uh, that's the goal, I believe, for most of the sports media and the community right now um, to not try to advance the story as you sit here and wait for the next statement or update, especially like last night in the in the press box where I'm, I'm assuming everyone was waiting for the next update, just like everyone watching at home, because unlike a typical injury, this happened at midfield. And there's no sideline reporter giving direct, you know, uh, injury updates or an injury status from the team. And it's difficult to actually find people that have the information needed to report on it accurately. I think it's very difficult. I think, you know, you you certainly uh, have a job to do, right? We have a job to do. It, it is uh, unheard of. It's uh, unprecedented that the job uh turned in the way that it did last night. Uh, you know, I, I tweeted this at, at the end. I, I got back to my hotel sometime after three o'clock last night and, and finally had a, a minute to breathe and, and to think about what I had seen. And, you know, basically, uh, as I expressed on social media, what I wanted to do in those moments uh, as I was tweeting what I was seeing w- was just that, was to give fans uh, and maybe those who weren't inside the stadium and, and maybe things that weren't being picked up at, uh, on the broadcast at, at, at times, what I was seeing. And, and in, in a story like this, uh, being first is not the most important thing that, you know, that you, you, you as a reporter, you, you strive for that, right? You want to break the story. This is not a story that you want to break. This is a story that demands that you have it right. And that means a, a, allowing the official channels to, to communicate to us Right. That being whether whether that be the NFL, whether that be the Buffalo Bills, uh, whether that be maybe a representative from the hospital or we hear from, say, Lamar, uh, excuse me, DeMar Hamlin's uh, agency. We hear DeMar. We hear from DeMar Hamlin's family directly. I don't think that this is where you want to go fishing for something. You want to make sure that you have every detail in this story. Right. And that you report it with the proper level of 
I, I would say grace that's required in this because it is such a serious, uh, heartbreaking issue in so many ways. So it's it's vital that you stay uh, right on the topic and just report what is happening and what you know to be true. That is just so, so important in a story like this. No doubt. And uh, that that sentiment is why we wanted Jay Skursky on our show today to give perspective there. Jay, thank you, man. This has been excellent uh, just from your vantage point and what you saw last night and the outpouring of support from the community at large. And uh, uh, we'll be following you on social. You just search them out at Jay Skursky and we'll be waiting on the very latest from the NFL and from anyone with the bills there. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me on and uh, allowing me to, to talk through this with you guys. Yeah, man. Thank you. There's Jay Skursky, Buffalo News, and uh, uh, great Bills coverage there from Jay, as usual, in an un unprecedented situation. It's good perspective from him. No doubt. Uh, coming up, some other headlines of the day, including the NCAA and the NCAA committee recommending expanding, wait for it, the NCAA tournament yet again. And the number of teams involved, well, it's more than 68. Uh, that's next on OutKick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. We're back. Um... We'll get uh, further reaction and uh, we'll give some more analysis to what we saw and the latest with Damar Hamlin in just a moment. Um, but no update officially yet. If it happens, we'll, we'll make sure we will uh, be covering that over the final 35 plus minutes of the show. The NCAA committee uh, that is tasked with making sure that they modernize where they're headed. This is a committee that is co-chaired by SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. They have recommended that the NCAA tournament and, and all postseason tournaments um, expand, again, this is the transformation committee is what they call it, expand to include at least 25% of active Division I members in good standing in team sports sponsored by more than 200 schools. So if you have more than 200 schools playing for your championship, effectively, in any given calendar year, they want to. They want it to include 25% of those participating schools, and that would, in essence, boost the NCAA tournament from 68 teams up to around 90, according to the NCAA committee uh, for uh, transformation in college sports. This will now go before the actual board that can vote this into existence, and that takes place uh, next week. In San Antonio, um, the further expansion, the initial reaction, Chad, and, and I'm sure you thought the same thing I was. Oh, it, this is further uh, further money grab for what is a billion plus dollar tournament already for the NCAA, and they're going. I think the the line of thinking here is they are going to include certain 
restri- not restrictions, guidelines in order to qualify for the 25%. And part of that is at least two years of medical coverage after college or completion of their athletic career if they sustain a, an athletic injury. That's going to be the requirement for all Division I participants. Um, you know, mental health treatment and services in accordance with recognized best practices, degree completion funds for 10 years should they choose to step away from their studies before reaching graduation, before eventually deciding to return. There are other other aspects to this. It's not just the expansion of the tournament. But I, I think what it, what it is, if they're going to require this, what they're going to pitch is, well, we need more teams to participate in order to help fund this because the the teams that we have now, if we get to 25%, that's going to help more more programs fund what we're suggesting needs to improve across college sports for transformation. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. That's the pitch. But we know why they're starting the headlines with the NCAA tournament. That is their golden goose. Because that is their moneymaker. And look, if this is uh, truly a, a situation where they're not just taking all the profit of what 22 more teams would do for them in the NCAA tournament? 18 or 19% of the current number that's yeah. represented in the tournament. So if it's not just a cash grab to take it as profit, and it's actually going back to the schools and the programs and the athletic departments to do some good things, I, I'm for it. I'm also I'm torn because I'm never one that's in favor of less of a good thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when the playoffs in the NFL expanded, I wasn't thinking, man, this really waters down the, play- the product. I'm thinking... Hell, I love NFL playoffs. Let's have more games. Great. All for it. So I love the NCAA tournament. So when I hear 90 teams, I, I don't get upset about it. I don't think, man, that's going to really ruin the tournament or anything like that. But then on the flip side of it, I think, you know, it took Northwestern basketball like 65 years to get to a tournament. And now they might go every year in this new format or every other year. And what does that mean for basketball programs? Here's the other thing too, Hutton. Is this going to be simply – a way to backdoor the bottom third of Power 5 conference teams into the tournament, or are they going to start taking more at-large bids from mid-majors? Because the, that's going to be the big debate. Sure. Because most of the high-major teams, the Power 5 teams, are better, and they will naturally play tougher schedules than some of the other teams. And then it's just you're still playing it where it's almost, I'm going to take my ball and go home. If you're the Power 5 school, you're going to get the better spot in the tournament, and you're going to get more of those spots. There's certainly the haves and the have-nots, right? We detailed that with conference expansion over the summer. But the, the, athlete, the, the athletic benefits for the student-athlete, as they're framing it here, it, I think it's interesting to your point because the, the bottom third of the Power 5, I, I believe, can afford to make sure I mean, the bottom third of the Power Five, in some cases, are getting $100 million per season moving forward for their entire athletic department based on the television contracts just for football. Um, but the, this, this bullet point, require all Division I schools to provide medical coverage for athletically-related injuries for a minimum of two years following graduation or the completion of participation. The recommendation says that a national coverage model might be needed to help some programs cover costs. Well... You could fund that through this expanded tournament. You could fund it now, quite frankly, through a billion-dollar tournament that exists. But I wonder how much of this is going to be on the school versus getting some help through this national coverage that they're pointing out. That, that detail is not out there, but that's the first bullet point in a list of things. And if it is a have-and-have-not issue, well, more than likely, 
for these teams that are in good standing that are providing this requirement, if voted through, it's not official, if voted through, are probably your Power 5 schools more so than those that are struggling to make ends meet trying to schedule Power 5 schools in order to get the payday to fund their athletic department. Right? Like, yeah, that's all part of this, and that all goes through football, not hoops, but the, the NCAA is making the vast majority of their budget off of this tournament. Yeah, and you know, how do you structure it? Is it just as simple as you know, you have this a similar format, just more teams, or is there more of a play-in bracket? Is there? Well, I think you got to go on campus. The, it, the first round I think already. You gotta, I think you almost have to host games, uh, like yeah. NIT, NIT type yes. format. But yeah. for but, those early games, yeah. I think you're in you the get tournament. the benefit of of hosting a game. I think you have to because the the attendance right now for the first and second round is already awful. Dockage was in talking about it. it's like. No one is attending these games right now in the first round, and he's like, we've he's comparing that to a bowl game right now, the, the casual yeah. bowl game in mid December. If it's not Kentucky, right, you know, right. going to travel yeah. the, half the Commonwealth to their um, game, they're not getting much attendance. Yeah, but I mean, it's he's right, and therefore I I want to see this back on campus. That's what I'm so excited about with the college football playoff expansions. That first round is on campus. I think this would certainly help that out, and maybe you can have a host campus. Right, you can have four teams there and do something instead of having uh, everyone go to Pittsburgh from you know Wichita. Look, it should guarantee you a packed house if you're going to yeah. host a first round or second round NCAA tournament game uh, with your you being the higher seed in a host host school. I'll also say there is a value in that whole experience, the way it's been done for years. Of you go to a host site, you're going to a different city, you're typically playing in a on an NBA arena or an NHL arena somewhere, and it's it's a unique – and I've covered a number of tournaments. It's a very unique setup where you get all those teams there, a lot of, you know, from different regions that are there as well. It's pretty cool to have that experience, but, I mean, hosting an NCAA tournament game would also be very cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And you can – I mean, you can earn the right to get to that experience, you know, make it out of the first – now the expanded first weekend, right? Yeah. But it's uh, – man, I just don't – I'm not clamoring for 90-plus teams, around 90, to get in. Um, and we're just, by the way, we're just discussing the men's tournament. This 25% recommendation is also for the women's tournament, right? Like, this yeah. this goes beyond hoops. It's and, not going to, with all due respect to the women's tournament, that's not going to move the needle one way or the other. But all, all sports that they're referencing Yeah, I, I just, here, and, you know, and I say that because I think the first rounds of the women's tournament – it gets more interest as it gets closer to the Final Four, yeah. but the first round doesn't matter anyway. So if you add 22 teams, I don't think it's going to have a big impact. And those are that, already on campus. That first Thursday and Friday of the men's NCAA tournament is a national sports holiday. Don't mess with it the is, 11 a.m. Central tip It off. is the biggest and best, in my opinion, my humble opinion, single tournament in the United States. And I put that over the Masters. I put that over a lot of other things. In terms of one sporting event, if you combine everything with the NCAA men's basketball tournament, it's the best. And that Thursday and Friday, that's a rite of spring for people to play sick from work and go and watch brackets and fill out a bracket. It's a big deal for fans of the men's tournament, and there's a lot more fans of the men's tournament than the women's tournament. I don't think it matters in the least bit if you add 22 women's teams to their bracket early on because people aren't really paying attention until the very end, and then a lot of people aren't paying attention then either. Yes. And... Uh Greg Sankey and others involved with this committee 
According to the 39-page report that was released, uh, it says that they're going to be made available to the media on Tuesday. I haven't seen the official Q&A if that did happen on a conference call. I've only seen statements made uh, from those with this. So we'll, we'll see where this heads. Um, but it's a discussion point moving forward for the NCAA that has really no control over the college football playoff. You know, that's, that's a, its own separate entity. And this is the recommendation coming from Sankey, who certainly has a lot of say over the college football playoff, as do the Power Five, on how to keep the other programs, the other uh, sports, uh, moving in the right direction for the future and how to fund that. Uh, hit us up with your thoughts at Outkick360. You can join us in the chat as well. Um, no update other than what we received this, this morning and early afternoon from the NFL or from the Hamlin family, uh, where Damar Hamlin remains in critical condition. Last, last we have been alerted and told, just like you, um, after suffering cardiac arrest yesterday evening on the field in the first quarter in Cincinnati, uh, the Bills' safety remains in critical condition. And uh, the family released a statement thanking uh, everyone for their support and donations and prayers and their their show of, uh, you know, I, I, I think Jay said it earlier, grace. That was the majority of what I saw last night. Yeah, it was it was overwhelming. Uh, I mean, the, the, the scene outside the hospital, but then the stadium and the silence and the reverence for the moment, it was frightening. But it really does go back to show, I think, an important point about, you know, Republicans and Democrats do their best to divide this country, yet sports can bring everyone back together. And that's what I saw. I, I, don't, I don't care what background you were, what race you were, what party you vote for. Didn't matter last night. Everyone united behind DeMar Hamlin and his well-being. I, I thought it was poignant. I thought it was yeah. inspirational. And I think it's a good lesson for all of us that, you know, this is – this is why we talk about sports on this show. This is why we love it in a lot of ways. It is a great unifier, and I think last night proved that. And now we just continue to think about DeMar Hamlin and his situation and hoping for a great outcome. Chris Pronger, 1998, took a puck on a slap shot to the chest. Looks like the same thing happened where he suffered commotio cordis in that moment. Heart stopped. He was revived by an AED. He's fine. Lived his life normally. Hutton, that's what we're praying now for DeMar, DeMar Hamlin in this situation, yes. is that he has the same outcome. We had Dr. David Chow on to talk about it. He's optimistic. He's hopeful. Uh, he even mentioned the fact that the ambulance stopped for mom to hop on the ambulance is a good sign. It would have been rushing out if things were worse. So we're hoping for the best outcome now. Well, there was a, a Nashville Predators player who collapsed on the bench. Um after, uh, or was it, no, the Preds were playing the Red Wings. That's what it was. It was the Red Wings player, uh, Yuri Fisher, back in 2005. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, you know, he collapsed on the bench, and they ended up postponing that game. Now, the difference between the scheduling and all this, which made it not easy based on the situation, but easy based on the calendar, is they just made back-to-back, home-and-home, and they restarted the Preds, Red Wings game, wherever that game ended up. I can't remember who was leading. Um, but they had that one night and then followed up, likely in a different city, the next night, and that's how they made that game up. But there was the same... Everyone's wondering, hey, yeah. what was going on, especially from the local teams. Uh, the difference is you had a purely national audience with this last night, and everyone's reacting in real time. 
trying not to speculate, at least uh, I think the majority of us, and there was not a lot of information, still not a ton of information, but from what we've been able to gather from what they've released, more positive uh, out of this just based on the fact that um, he's got his, his marketing team that is released. And by the way, uh, not a verified account, but the guy this morning was on Good Morning America representing the family, the Hamlin family, um, saying that uh, the vital signs for Hamlin were normal. That's great. Uh, but he remains in critical condition uh, at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. We'll have uh, more on this, plus look to some other headlines as we wrap up the Tuesday edition of Outkick 360 Next. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Our thanks to uh, all of the, the solid guests today, Dr. David Chow, Armando Salguero of OutKick, same for Chow, who's a, a contributor there from Pro Football Doc, uh, John McClain, and uh, also uh, we had uh, Jay Kursky on, uh, Skursky, excuse me, from the uh, Buffalo News, who was awesome uh, and had coverage last night. More throughout the, throughout the week, for sure, in regards to coverage and reaction as we have updates with Bill's safety, uh, DeMar Hamlin, and the outpouring of support from across the league and uh, the, the country. Can I pass along something from my cardiologist buddy yes. that I found oh, interesting yeah, that, that could be useful for people following this story? When I heard uh, intubated, I immediately thought about the worst yep. You know, with him, that it's a coma or something bad's going on. Uh, my buddy who's a cardiologist who was watching the segment with Dr. David Chow said this also. He said, it's standard of care in most cases where someone suf suffers cardiac arrest to keep them intubated and put them on what they call a cooling protocol. That's in order to preserve brain function. We use mechanisms that allow the body's core temperature to drop, which we know from years of experience and research help maintain brain function and improves outcomes long-term. This is usually a 24-hour process. And so him being on a breathing machine very well could be by design. It goes without saying all speculation. I obviously have no clue what's going on. But if this was a patient of mine in my care and had commotio cordis as expected, he would be brought into intensive care, and this is what we would do with him. And that's where he is. He remains in intensive care as the last update in critical condition. And I just know, found that interesting that it could have all been by design, this, yeah, well, this part of the process. We know, don't know, but something to keep in mind that you know, we don't know, but because we're expecting the worst outcome doesn't necessarily mean that's the case. And while, you know, suffering cardiac arrest, once they have the, the heart is beating again, the next thing you worry about is the lack of oxygen to the brain. You know, that, that's yeah. the next step. And they certainly had the best medical professionals there in real time uh, there to provide their assistance and their expertise in that area. Uh, we mentioned earlier, uh, in any walk of life, there are a few places better than what the NFL has set up every game day. 
in case of emergency, and in this case, in case of life or death situation. The best of the best were on site in that moment to react as fast as you possibly could in that moment. And uh, here's hoping that because of that situation and because of where it occurred, that the very best can now happen for DeMar Hamlin in his recovery, which remains in critical condition. But so far, Chad, the small updates we've received sounds more positive than anything we would have thought in real time last night. Yeah, Dr. Chow even said the best place for something like this to happen is on an NFL football field with the amount of professionals around that could help immediately and the equipment that's on hand at a game. So hopefully that leads to a positive outcome in this situation. Uh, The other headline out there just uh, across the league today, uh, John Harbaugh, uh, excuse me, Jim Harbaugh, who uh, just lost again in the uh, semifinals in the college football playoff. So he was already linked over the weekend to the Denver Broncos. Um, the Colts have been out there for a while. Yeah, and, and Dockett said they absolutely will have reached out to him in some way. And now there is a report that the Panthers have also done so. Now, the Panthers have clarified this is not an interview. You know, there has been preliminary talks. But uh, consider what is at stake there with the Panthers who had the interim head coach and you have the spot where the team actually improved, uh, shockingly, after getting rid of some of their better players and firing their head coach. And Harbaugh is going to be highly sought after. And to me, the the first storyline is after receiving... Um, the the compensation of over $9 million in in an extension around this time last year. It was a couple of months and maybe a couple of weeks after where we sit right now. But after receiving the multi-year extension with a considerable raise, uh, the ability and now the reports from uh, The Athletic that if he finds a spot and he's offered a job, that he's going to take it in the league. And I wonder why now compared to last year, for Harbaugh to get back in the NFL where, I mean, the Raiders, for instance, they were one that was linked to him last year. Well, he interviewed last year for the Vikings. And the Vikings, yeah. Remember, he was all the way down the rabbit hole with them and then... And they got the extension. Decided that I'm going to go back to Michigan, but really, he didn't get the job Well, with and, the reports. And the Dolphins. But then the, the Michigan man connection, there was something there yeah. with what was going on with uh, Dolphins ownership and Harbaugh and whether or not you were just trying to keep him out of Minnesota. If he's going to leave, you're going to leave for Miami. And if you don't leave for Miami, then we're going to keep you there. You know, it's just, it's been an odd 13-month process with Harbaugh. Well, I don't, I don't think it's that odd. For the, let, me, let me break this down and, and why I don't think it's very odd with him. He sucked for a while. And Michigan came to him and said, instead of firing you, we're going to restructure your contract and make it more advantageous for us if you are willing to bet on yourself going into this next year. He did that, probably begrudgingly, and didn't love doing it. But he did it because it was his alma mater, and he believed. Believed in himself, believed in his program. Comes back the next year, they crush it. They go to an unexpected playoff game. He gets renewed. He gets a better better contract. But he's still interviewing and flirting with the Minnesota Vikings. Hmm, I wonder why. Because he wanted to be in the NFL anyways, and now that one season of success could have propelled him to do that he had an out. He tried to take it. He didn't get the job, so he signed up for more money with Michigan. He was fine staying at Michigan. 
if he had to, but he wants to go to the NFL. Fast forward to the next year. They go about doing it once again, undefeated. Beat rival Ohio State again. Win a Big Ten championship. They get upset in the college football playoff. His desire to get back to the NFL never left. So now if he's got more opportunities, he is going to wage negotiations amongst all of them and pick the best one if he gets multiple offers. I don't think any of it's that crazy about what's gone on. He bet on himself, he won, and he's played it to the best of his ability ever since. And he got exactly what he wanted out of Michigan a year ago, having talked to Minnesota. And I think what he ultimately wants is to get back to the Super Bowl, get back to or get back to the NFL, then get back to a Super Bowl and win one this time. The one that he lost to his brother and the Ravens when he was with the 49ers. I mean, I really, the, based on the success level of the last two years, though, and where he has elevated this program to not just competing for a Big Ten championship, back-to-back Big, Big Ten champs, and let's be honest here, they're one more win over Ohio State away from, I think, majority of people around Ohio State wanting Ryan Day out of there. That's where he is. And the, I don't know, Michigan comes back to the table and offers him something. What is he going to do? To re-up him again. That, that's the other scenario here is why do you let him go now, even though you wanted him gone two years ago? There's no way you find a better option than what he's built, given the circumstances and what he's done in that conference, with especially with what's coming into the conference and the fact that we're headed to a 12-team playoff. Well, here's what I'm, I beg of Michigan to do. Don't give him another raise. Well, okay. He's not going to leave for another college job. If he doesn't get the NFL job he wants and comes back, fine. You're working under your same contract. There's no need to give him a raise. None. And I wonder, too, if uh, Harbaugh goes to Indy, who's the GM? Saturday? John Robinson? <laughs> I don't know. We are uh, back at it tomorrow. Marvin Harrison? Further uh, coverage Colts? of uh, Bill's safety, DeMar Hamlin, and the latest headlines Edwin James across GM? the Outkick Network.